He's a household name in the MLS and a championship winning hero for TFC. But who is the real Josie Altidore and how did he get where he is today? In this exclusive episode of Player to Player with Stephen Caldwell, I sit down with one of the United States national team's greatest ever players to talk about life and the beautiful game. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Footy Talks with me, Stephen Caldwell and today I am delighted to announce a very special guest, former teammate of mine again and all round good guy, Josie Altidore. Welcome Josie. Stevie, thanks for having me pal. Yeah, thanks for coming on mate, I really appreciate it. I know things are strange for everybody right now. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like being a professional football player at the moment and and missing that kind of connection and camaraderie with with the guys, I just can't even imagine not having that that sort of bonding and, and banter that we normally get within the changing room. Yeah, man. To be honest with you, it's just been it's been a really weird time. Um, you know, I've played for my fifteenth season, I think, and obviously you played a very long time as well, and just never experienced anything like this. You know, just. This uncertainty, kind of everybody just waiting around and, you know, literally looking out to see what the next person is doing and, you know, reacting to the CDC and just trying to stay safe. So it's a bizarre time for, for all of us. And uh, it's definitely been surreal. Yeah, you said it best. The uncertainty is the, the biggest thing. We don't know when we're going to get back to playing football, but we all hope that we can be be safe soon and, and get back to the sports that, that we, we know and love. So, uh, I'll kick this off and I'll, I'll start it off with uh, November 6, 1989. Young Josie Altidore's born in Livingston, New Jersey. I know yes. you spoke out of town pretty early in your life, but please tell us what it was like growing up in, in Livingston and then obviously on to Boca Raton. Well, yeah, I was born in Jersey. Didn't live there long. Uh, my parents didn't want to be in the cold weather, so <laughs> they relocated to, to Florida quite early. Um, you know, I probably lived in New Jersey for two three years before moving to Florida. So I really grew up in South Florida for the most part. And Jersey was more, you know, obviously I was born there, but I, I didn't return there until later as a professional. And obviously still have ties there. I have a lot of love for New Jersey, but I'm probably more of a of a Florida upbringing at this point, yeah. Yeah, and your 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 parents are Haitian, aren't they, Josie? And yep, yep. When did they emigrate to uh, the U.S.? Yeah, so they were they were about twenty. My parents are now seventy one, seventy. Um, they are up there right now, but they probably came to the states when they were around twenty four, twenty five, and uh, so a number of years ago, and they came here with no English, nothing really, just. Uh, an opportunity trying to escape the reign of a mad president in Haiti at the time yeah. who was Papa Doc. And so they, they escaped that came here and basically, you know, had the dream of the American dream. And yeah. they're, they're an example of, of what it could look like if you persevere. Yeah. And, and so when they moved to New Jersey, was, was there a Haitian community there or was that just kind of where they landed? Or? Yeah. I think, you know, I always asked my dad, I said, you know, why New Jersey? Why not Vegas? You know, <laughs> why yeah. not? I don't know, something different. And he just always says, yeah, this is where, you know, there was a, there was a, a known Haitian community outside of Haiti. And he had a lot of friends that he knew uh, that came to the States that were trying to find life and work in New Jersey. 
Yeah, and I'm sure you're very proud of your Haitian roots. Did Did you go back there from time to time? And, and do you of course, of course. I mean, Haiti is home of some of the most uh, resilient people, I think, on the planet. I mean, if you look at Haiti and look at what it's, Haiti's been through over the years, man, and, and to see, I don't know if you know any Haitian people, but there's some very proud people. Um, yeah. You know, they don't really ask for favors or handouts, so I'm incredibly proud. And do you feel that kind of mentality had an influence on you? Were your parents very much Haitian even after they moved to the U.S.? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, you know, I, I'm American, but I grew up under a Haitian house, household. Um, so you know, the Haitian influence is heavy, um, whether it be the kind of food we eat. You know, the way my parents talked to me early on was most of the time in Creole until I, you know, started going to school. So the Haitian influence has been there, you know, for quite some time for me. So when you, you moved to Boca Raton, and I'm assuming you were a sporty kid, was it always soccer or were you you're playing every kind of sport back then? And and what was the kind of pathways like for young bud and soccer players within Florida? Man, I was actually, believe it or not, okay, a young Steph Curry in the making. I played <laughs> basketball. and I was, I was really good. I loved it. Um, but the problem for me was that I know this may sound crazy, but my parents literally did not understand basketball. My dad didn't understand the rules and he just had a passion. He just had a, a, an understanding and a safetyness with football. You know, he, it's what they played on the Island. It's just what he was always familiar with. And he always told me, I'd rather you play something where I feel like we can fully support you a game that we understand. And, and a lot of people don't understand those things, like when, when you're choosing sports. But the average American kid, you have five or six choices. But for me, um, I may have had choices, but my parents really only understood one sport. Yeah, I certainly know what that's like coming from Scotland. It's like exactly it's the only game, really, and yeah, and yeah. Sort of pathway that you're you're pushed towards. And before you know it, people always ask, "Well, you know, your parents kind of forcing you out there out there with a the ball." It's not like that, but it's just it just becomes your love because it's it's everywhere you look. Your your family are all just obsessed with the game and obsessed with the sport of football. It's it's amazing. Um, the um. The soccer pathway in Boca Raton, I know you played for a few clubs there. When did you realize that you were a successful player and, and what was it like? Was it, was it clear? Where were your, what were your goals? Where were you trying to get to, to, to try and achieve your dreams or, or did the dreams start a lot later? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, for me, I quietly, I never envisioned myself doing anything else than, than playing football or playing basketball and, and, mostly football and and making it you know professionally obviously every kid that's the dream right that's the goal and that's honestly how I felt I just never thought of life without the game and um, obviously I went to school I did my studies you know I was I was ready to go to college on 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 a scholarship and learn and that's what my parents wanted me to do but I don't know man it's just it was always a hunger it was always a desire of mine um especially being that for Americans, it's more difficult. Uh, it, it, it That inspired me some more to want to wanna try to play football in Europe and just overall make a career out of playing football. So I was always very motivated with, one, having the background, uh, being American and everybody telling you how difficult it is to not only turn professional, but, you know, play overseas. And then just it being a dream of mine. So, you know, the the, the drive for me and, and wanting to play pro was always was always there. And was there one major coaching influence that that sort of um, 
you know, sort of confirmed your talent in the game or, or, or set you up with your first kind of step up or that? Is there, is there any influence that you can remember or did it just kind of naturally happen? For sure. I would say Joseph Schultz. He was a guy yeah. from Austria. He coached me. He, he actually saw me in the field. So I was practicing with my dad and my family, like maybe seven or eight years old in a park. Literally, my dad, every time he came from work, and my mother, she was a nurse, they would take me to the field and just literally kick the ball around with all, without all of us. We'd all just kick the ball around and just, you know, enjoy, have fun, exercise, or whatever. And the Austrian coach was there. He had a permit for that field to start his academy. So he was there literally fixing the field up for a training session that he had coming up the next morning. And he saw us playing, and he was just like, hey, I think your son can play in a World Cup one day. He said that to my dad. That's amazing. Yeah. And my dad, you know, my dad laughed him off. He's like, what are you talking about, man? We're here playing in the park. Like, what are you saying? And he told my dad, listen, bring him to me, to my academy, and I will work with him. But your son can play professionally. And my dad, being the fan of the sport that he was, right then and there, the next day, I'm enrolled into Joseph Schultz Academy and – and under his kind of tutelage uh, from from that age on, eight years old on. Eight years old, and and so was did he have a, a history in the professional game, or what was his background? Why why was he in Florida and, and starting this academy? Yeah, he was huge in the game. Um, he was huge in professional football, being attached to it, having played a bit, and he was just trying to grow the game as well, looking for an opportunity to coach kids. Um, and so that was his passion in, in Boca and in South Florida, looking for young kids, whether it be Hispanic descent, um, Caribbean descent, that had kind of ability and tried to really turn the page, to, you know, up the game here in, in South Florida and in the United States as a whole in terms of soccer academies, football academies, and preparing young kids to be players. So he was he was huge. And, and from the first session, it was, no, listen, this is how the pros do it. This is how you're going to learn to be a pro. And he taught us how to be professionals when we were eight years old. And uh, he had a vision. And his academy expanded, and and I think you know it was probably one of the most successful so- football academies before the MLS and and US soccer kind of you know had put a stronghold in that category in terms of developing players. Yeah, I I thought I had this story on that because my my dad's one of his best friends, Brian Patterson, claims that when I was about two years old, I was kind of fumbling around the garden, just barely walking, and I was kicking this ball. And he said I was going to be a professional football player when I was two. But you've just yeah. you've just surpassed me there, mate. When you know, being <laughs> old, and the guy said you're going to go to a World Cup, and of course you did it. Right? So, how how crazy is that? He's sending that to my dad, and my dad's looking at him like my dad mate. tells me to this day. I thought this guy was on something. I was like, how can you say something just by watching a kid for a few minutes? But that's the type of eye that. You know, Joseph was in terms of the game, his able, his ability to recognize talent and then develop talent, and that's the type of eye that you just don't have. You don't see a lot in the United States in terms of people that see a potential in a player and then can not only you know harness that but make it into something. And so he was a special guy, and he had a special eye. And it's one of the big moments in anyone's life that ends up. You know, you're telling the story now after over 100 caps in the U.S. and many amazing moments in the professional game. But if you hadn't been at that part and hadn't been playing at that time, who knows? It's A lot of it's fate. What would have happened? And I just want to focus on the fact that exactly. our parents play a big role in it, don't they? The, the sacrifice, we know we make sacrifices to become professionals, but 
the parent sacrifice is absolutely huge. Your dad goes to work every day. He's back. He takes you guys right to the park to give you your moments and, and spend some time with you. It's some uh, sacrifice to be made by parents in, in terms of how they can get their kids to the levels that they want to be, isn't it? It's huge. You know, and I look at my dad and I'm a father now of a, of a, of a young five-year-old. And I, you know, oftentimes, sometimes on hard days, I'm thinking to myself, and hard days for me are different than the average parent. Uh, hard days for me, I don't think are are the same. You know, maybe I'm tired from training or whatever, a lot's going on and, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I just look at my father and what he was able to do. And it just inspires me, one, to be a better dad and to always want to do more with my son. And then, you know, it's it's just not easy, I think, uh, being a good parent. I think everybody, you know, people have kids and yes, biologically they're parents, but I think they're not, you know, it, it's, it's it's another thing to be a good parent, to, to take the time for your kids, to be there for your kids, to, to support them in a way where they don't feel threatened or, you know, just pressure that they kind of feel encouragement, they feel love. And my dad harnessed all that. I think that's really important when, when raising a young athlete is to not make it feel like it's a job, but more of a passion. And I think there is a fine line, especially early on. Um, and it can, it can, it can be a big thing in terms of kids um, enjoying what they're doing and having fun with what they're doing or feeling burned out early on and just saying, no, this isn't for me. So I think there's definitely a balance there. Yeah. And this is the hardest thing in this day and age to, to keep that balance between fun and competitive that I, you know, you know, I've got 11 and 12 year old boys and, it's the same for me. It's, it becomes so serious so quickly for these lads. That it's just trying to take it back to that fun element, a little bit like we felt because we were at the park and things were different then, but you would just kind of play with your buddies and you would learn things and try things there. Now everything's so structured, it's hard to get that, that flow and that, that kind of um, natural instinct built within you as a soccer player now. So, um, you know, good luck with that. And I appreciate the words. I think they were very poignant about how we can help kids to grow up and, and to achieve their dreams as they move forward. Um, you moving forward joined IMG Academy. Was that totally through the, the US program or, or was that someone individual as well? Well, that again, and I'm going to tell you a crazy story about this. I've never told anybody. Look at you, Steve. You're getting the scoop, man. Um, <laughs> So IMG Academy for me was a funny story because that's the U.S. national team at the time where the best 40 players went to go train. Um, So 40 players they would take, 40, right? And you would go there and train with the U.S. team. And uh, so I I got invited to that academy through the Dallas Cup, I want to say. I went to Dallas Cup. And I had a monster tournament. I had a great tournament. We made it to the final. We lost to Monterey. I'll never forget. Two nothing or something. And we came in second place. And a guy named Juan Carlos Muchia, uh, he scouted me at that tournament. And he went up to Joseph Schultz and he said, listen, whatever you want for this player, I will give you. This player, I think he can be fantastic, blah, blah, blah. And he just believed in me. Yeah. And then uh, something happened. And I wasn't able to go right away um, to, to, to one of the national team invitations or, or meet up with Juan Carlos. But basically – um, I got invited again with another player just to the residency to go train for a couple of days. But it was just super – I just remember it being super hard to get in this program or getting seen by the right people. And I had just gotten lucky. And I went on a trial there, and I played well over the course of two days. And I remember Freddie Adu was there. Uh, Michael Bradley had already been at the program already. He was at the end of his tenure at the program. Um, 
you know, Dax McCarthy, Omar Gonzalez, so many young, you know, American players that played for the national team through the years were there. And then, and what yeah, age was it? You're like, 15. I was 14. I was 14 years old. I was 14 years old when I, when I started that whole process and moved to Bradenton and lived there and uh, went to school there and practiced with, again, at the time, what was considered the best 40 players in, in the country. And, and I, I think that's really a great thing to talk about because, you know, for, for a nation like the U.S. with a size and scope, to bring 40 players together, A, must be hard in the recruitment process, but the development of the 40, the lucky 40 who managed to come together, must be significant, you know, living within the, the dorms of IMG. I've been there with, with TFC, of course, from pre-season up in Bradenton. It's a superb facility. And, you know, to live there and to develop like that and, and to grow bonds and to kind of understand culture as well in terms of football culture and how you work within a team, I think it's really crucial. Like, was that a big, a big moment for you personally? And do you believe in that kind of environment to help develop professional, young professional soccer players? Yeah, I don't think it can hurt. Um, you know, a big thing for me, about IMG and going there was that you kind of became a, you know, men a little bit, you know, yeah. you were, you were there on your own. I mean, you're with a roommate, but you didn't know him really. You had to get to know him. And then at the same time, and a lot of times, in a lot of ca- most cases, you're competing, you're competing for a spot, which is interesting because, you know, everywhere around, around the world, we talk about that at a young age where that's already, you know, instilled in you and so that's what you get there you're competing for a spot because at the end of every eight I think it was eight weeks or nine weeks players got cut and sent home and new players arrived wow so it was a really cutthroat kind of environment because basically you had nine weeks to show what you could do and if the coaching staff that's there or you're just not producing you're literally replaced with another prospect and you're sent home to pick up the pieces so not saying it's good or bad, but right away you're introduced to a, a, a way of life, a way of thinking that is really, you're forced to grow up. You know, you're forced to kind of say already at that age, you know what, I'm going to bed or I'm going to make sure I'm ready for training tomorrow. I'm going to make sure I'm ready to, to go to the weight room and these type of things. So it's a really important experience, I think, or for me at the time to kind of understand that, you know, this is an everyday thing. This is the job. And, and uh, it was, I, I, I thought it produced some good players and, and I thought it was it was something positive for the federation, but I also think more could have been done to identify. You know, we're talking about forty players in a country of three hundred and you know something million. Yeah. So, you know what I mean. So I think I think all, while it was a good process, it definitely could have been better, uh, more expanded. Yeah, it's the, so it's teaching you to be a professional, I guess, at yeah. this young age, and and you're you know you're a success story of that program and. And, and of the whole thing, but I'm sure there was some lads that were kind of collateral damage. And when you talk about a country of that size, to have one centre is probably nowhere near enough. Eh? There should have been like regional centres with these 40 players within the, the you know, um, the different areas of the US, maybe five or six centres. Might have been better served to it. And, you yeah. know, did you see some young guys kind of drop out the programme that you felt had a lot of talent, but maybe just never quite had the the kind of mental side at that point, is, is that fair to say? 100%, 100%. Yeah. You saw a lot of very talented kids that literally just wanted to be at home or, yeah. you know, they wanted to be 15, which can you fault them? You know, you can't. You know, I understood that. And so, you know, for me, it was just such a big opportunity. 
Um, going back home um, wasn't anything great. I mean, I'm not saying it was bad, but, you know, this was it. This was it. A lot of these kids at the time went, if you were very good, if you were a SADA, a SADA prospect, you either got scouted by a club in Europe or, you know, it was difficult, though, to go to Europe at the time. You had to have family or, or born there or you had to be 18 with national team cap. So to go there before 18 was was impossible for a lot of people. So, right. you know, MLS was really the only realistic option. And so, um, you know, that was the dream. I saw Freddie do it. You know, he was in and around the age I was. And yeah. that definitely motivated me to say, you know what, I want if Freddie can do it. I believe in my ability as well to do it. And, you know, I, I was able to do that. And, and like you said, there was a lot of guys, man, an incredible number of guys that I thought were incredibly talented, but just didn't want to be, you know, on that grind every day. Yeah. So the thing that springs it to me so far with this story is that things are happening to you at such an early age. To me, the whole process is expedited because of your talent and, you know, you're going through these experiences. And I want to get to MLS and that 2006 MLS Super Draft and heading into that, did you know you were going to be drafted? Um, I know the Metro Stars at the time, obviously now the New York Red Bulls, took you 17th overall. They actually jumped up to get you. Were you aware that it was probably going to be New York or... How was the process heading into that? Where was your mind and, and what did you expect from that? Um, I actually only wanted to go to New York, really. I mean, that was the biggest desire I had because I was I was born in New Jersey and I had an incredible amount of family in New Jersey. So my family, my parents, everybody was like, you know, first of all, they didn't want me to go pro. They didn't want me to enter the draft. They wanted me to go to college. Um, right. they, you know, I had some full ride scholarships to some great schools. And my mom and dad were like, listen, you're going to go be a doctor or something like that is the move. Yeah. It's guaranteed. Soccer's not big in this country. Like, no. And especially the contract wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't, you know, 67,000 yeah. or something like that, you know? And so my dad was like, I'd rather you go to school. Free education um, is worth more than that. And, yeah. you know, you can set yourself up for the rest of your life to work. So I had to convince them for that. And that went down to the wire. And they, they said, you know what? Fine. Um, we'll give it this first contract to see kind of what goes on. So I'm on a, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a time crunch here. And, and, you know, that whole experience to get drafted and get drafted to New Jersey was a perfect scenario because right off the bat, I was comfortable, had my aunts and uncles around who I saw a lot growing up. And it was just a dream, a dream scenario for me. Yeah, it's it's funny. The story reminds me a little bit of my good friend Ryan Nelson, who was who was my first head coach at Toronto FC, and Nelly Nelly was at school in Stanford, and he was doing really well. I think he was studying political science or something. Then he had the chance to go to Harvard to go and study at Harvard, and or he had the chance to go to the draft, and he wanted to go to the draft, and his dad was saying the same thing: Do not go to the draft. Go to Harvard. You know, this was the the discussion going on between them, but then. He realised that really, we only sort of get one window to be a professional football player, a, a, a true Indeed. professional football player. And did that come into your thinking? Because that's always been in my mind as a, a young pro in, in Scotland and obviously playing in England was, you know, there's this finite timeline between 16 and 19 probably where you have this chance to really make that step out of competitive youth soccer into like the pro game. Was that yeah. the same for you? Is that how you thought or or were you just desperate to keep kicking a ball instead of going and studying? Yeah, no, I was, 
I was a bit of the same. You know, I wanted to, you know, I wasn't huge on, on, on obviously the idea of instead of being a pro, being a student, right? Anybody would rather that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was more along the same for me. I was just really excited at this opportunity and the window I knew was short, and I just wanted to try to give everything to it. Yeah, and so you're 16. I'm right in saying you're 16. You're at the Red Bulls. Yeah. You're in this locker room with men. So you've took another step up from the, the pressure environment of, of U.S. Uh, soccer and, and IMG Academy. What was it like early stages of MLS? Well, it's not so early. I guess it's 10 years old MLS. But what, what was MLS like then and what was your, your locker room like? Um, MLS, man, I was at the Metro Stars at the end of the Metro Stars. That's a right. fun fact. So I went to them before they got bought by Red Bull. Yeah. And so I'm there. And what was it like? We're playing a giant stadium. And <laughs> there's <laughs> it's an 80,000 seat football stadium. And there's like some days, man. I remember there was a game against FC Dallas. It might have been our home opener, I feel like, one year. And there was literally for like a thousand people there. And it was like, but I swear to you, it was some of those thousand of the most passionate football fans you'll see. And, and I just remember uh, scoring a goal in that game off a header and just feeling like the stadium is full just because you're so, you're so excited. But it was difficult, man. Um, it was difficult. We were training at Giant Stadium, and uh, that was difficult because the pitch was, was not good at all. So we're there, and... And sometimes we actually took vans to other places. So we'd go to Giant Stadium, then get into like a 15-passenger van and go to like Montclair State or something like that, a college and practice there or or another college. You know, there wasn't a training facility. There was none of that. And, you know, guys were taking turns each morning to bring in Einstein bagels. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was, it was way, way different than where the league is today. Yeah. So, so you're jumping around from facility to facility to train as well. There's not even like a, you know, a, a sort of rental place where you went to train every day. Was it different places? Well, actually, yeah, it was different places, but then wow. we got bought by Red Bull and yeah. then that things changed. Then, then that's when you saw a lot of money come into the club in terms of just, you know, they, they've, they bought out and they, they, they committed to a training facility, but then they bought the rights to a college uh, facility that I guess, they either didn't use anymore or I'm not sure what what it was on the campus of Montclair State University. Yeah. And they literally turned that into the training ground. And then, then you had kind of a decent setup there. You had the fields. You had a place to kind of come in, change, have breakfast. You had a place to kind of call your own. And I think that's when there was definitely starting to be a shift. And it was a good shift. Yeah, so you hit the ground running in, in New York and you were playing some great football. And then the speculation starts about Europe what was that like I'm assuming you had an agent at that point and yeah how were you protecting I mean I'm, I'm thinking of this like 17 year old lad who's scoring some goals probably feels on top of the world but it's still a boy and you've got all this speculation about these multi-million dollar moves was it tough for you or was it just water off a duck's back like what was the situation like in, in your mind then it was different it was yeah it was tough because there was a moment where, you know, offers started coming in and Red Bull weren't really, you know, they weren't, you know, really great to deal with in terms of trying to find what it needed to make a deal done. And then at saying that as well, I looked at it so differently than how I look at it now. Like, 
you know, how players can, I don't want to say, you know, players have a preference now kind of of where they move. If, if, if two clubs are interested and the club they like more maybe offers less, but that's where they'd rather go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, It'll, yeah. They'll probably make it happen. And, and for me back then, I didn't understand those things. So yeah. MLS told me the highest bidder and that's all that was important, the highest bidder. So I didn't even contemplate things that were going around and teams that I was speaking to right. and understanding that, Hey, I want to go there. I can probably make a move there because one of the club and two, because I think it'd just be better for my career. And so it's crazy. It's something that it, my, me and my family, we just didn't even understand that process. So did you have an agent, Josie, or were you? Were you I had an agent, but I think he, he as well was kind of new to yeah. this. And, yeah. you know, the American football agent wasn't exactly, you know, into this business in an in a, in a, in a experience that the European ones were, you know, from La Liga, yeah. from the Premier League. You know. So it was, it was, there's so many different things that you kind of go through and deal with that you just think of, wow, you know. One, it's great that the kids now don't have to go through it. And then second, it's just so behind your, you know, what you would go through if you were in, in a young kid playing in Europe during dealing with this kind of same scenario. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. it's, it's really eye opening now when I look back at that, at that process. Yeah. I bet with the experience that you have now, you're thinking like, wow, it was, you know, just kind of going along with the flow. So, so I'm guessing yeah. that, where MLS, they were just looking to make the highest buck possible. Yes. And, and of course, the offer, the highest offer came in for $10 million, which is an incredible amount of money for a, a teenager uh, from Villarreal in, in La Liga. And you're, you're then just told by the league that you're, you're sort of heading there, or, or where are you at this point? Yeah, so the league was like, listen, we, this is the offer we've accepted. So... Um, at that point, it was, you know, okay, well, you know, do we like this club? Will this work? You know what I mean? So yeah. that that's what it turned into at that point. And, right. you know, and so, you know, it was, yeah, but that was just the way MLS went about it. They said, you know, this is the point we want to get to. We want to get to this number and we're not budging for it. And we feel like this is where you're worth. And uh, we, they really wanted a deal like that um, yeah. to happen and they wanted it to be the right deal. And, you know, I'm happy that they, they got what they, they wanted, and in the end, it all worked out for me to, to, to go. Yeah, so you're packing your bags again. You're, you're heading to Spain. Um, you've got this this price tag or this weight on your shoulders. Uh, you're 18, and it's $10 million. I mean, you're, you're far and away the, you know, the biggest export coming out of MLS at this moment. Did you feel the pressure of that, or were you heading there excited? I mean, I'm sure you were excited, but... Where, where again is your mind? Are you, are you kind of settled at this point or are you a bit apprehensive? Um, I'm excited. I'm so excited to get there because La Liga was a league that you watch. You kind of – La Liga is the league you grow up on in South yeah. Florida, at least at the time I was young because South Florida at that time was Gold TV and they had all the rights to La Liga. And so that's all I watched. So when I tell people La Liga is, my, is the favorite league for me, the best league in the world, that's – that's what it comes to. And, and oddly enough, that wasn't the only La Liga club that bid for me. And that wasn't even my first choice. And I'm not trying to disrespect Villarreal in any way, yeah, yeah. but it, the reality was it wasn't. And, but I just didn't know I had the power to choose, which, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it sounds crazy nowadays no. because you're like, what? But I didn't know that I could literally choose where I wanted to go instead of, you know, just accepting where whatever bid the league accepted and then going from there. So it was just a surreal time, but I was incredibly excited, but it was a huge culture shock. I tell you, when I landed on that plane, 
it was it was different. <laughs> what was the difference? <laughs> you felt? Just, I mean, I mean. So I'm. What was I? I was 18. I just come back from Did where you the Olympics. Are you on your own? Yeah, I went. I went with. So when I went to sign the contract, I went with my sisters. Yeah. But when I went to, so that that didn't count because we we stayed in another city, Valencia, yeah. and we it was great. You know, you know wine and dine. It's it's a great two days. You know. So, but yeah. when yeah. I got there, originally, like to to live and to play after the Olympics, when I tell you it was a, it was just difficult. It was. You know, I, I land in the city, Villarreal. Um, I don't know if you know anything about Villarreal. Probably a city of 50,000, 60,000 people, most right. of them elderly. And so I land at the hotel. It's a very old school hotel. Um, they're speaking Castellano, which right. isn't even Spanish. It's a dialect of Spanish. Because you can so speak Spanish, of course. I can speak a little yeah. bit of Spanish. Right. I'm talking basic, you know, okay. como estas. You know, <laughs> soy el negro para jugar. That's it, man. That's all I got. And, you know, they're speaking a dialect. And I'm alone. And, you know, I get up to my room. I turn the TV on. It's all in, 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 in Castellano. The yeah. menus in Castellano, everything. And I'm kind of like, you know, literally day two or three, I'm like, oh, what's going on here? You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, but obviously training is an escape, right? The facilities yeah. are, are fantastic. Top. The pitch is great. The quality is fantastic. But just the, the life outside of it at that time was so not important to me, but it's all I knew. I didn't really know of anything else, and I didn't know what to expect now going to Villarreal, and I just was really having a hard time, a really hard time uh, just living, man, and, and finding things to do. That, that was really difficult. So was that a lonely life? I mean, uh, you leave, you leave um, training at, let's say, 2 p.m., 3 p.m., whatever, and then you're, you're back to your hotel. You've got no real mates, I'm assuming, at this point. Nah, Nothing. Kicking around on your own. Yeah, so I'm literally, I'm getting home every day, um, ordering uh, like a filet mignon and, a, and, a, and some type, type of pasta, okay? Yeah. And then I'm literally streaming cartoon shows. I think I was watching like Dragon Ball Z, you know, <laughs> every day. That's all I do. It dubbed in English, and that's literally it. I sit in my room and, you know, wait till my parents called me on Skype to give them updates, and then go to training and do the same thing over and over again. And, and it was just, when I tell you it was difficult just to talk to people and just to make friends and understand kind of who I was within the city, because I didn't understand that either. It was just, it was, it was such a surreal experience. The first six months, difficult one, but the, 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 the transition over that was, was also interesting. Yeah. So when they sent you on loan to, is it Zerez? Is that, am I saying it Perez, right? Yeah. Zerez, right. So you go on loan to second division. Of course, you end up not playing a game with, with an injury, but. Was that was that kind of expected? Was were you did you know that they were going to have to farm you out a little bit before you were ready, or, or were you disappointed? No, man. Jerez was you right. know Jerez was more of a uh, a couple of people in the club. Again, something I didn't understand. So a couple of people in the club wanted me to go to Jerez because right. Jerez had never been promoted. Okay, yeah, and it was a great look if their new signing, who for whatever reason hadn't gotten the opportunities, uh, helped them get promoted. And it, he yeah. thought it would also add to my value and all this and that. But Jerez wanted really nothing to do with it. Jerez was like, we don't really need help. We think right. we have a good team. And if he comes here, he won't play. Okay. And so, you know, these are things. And I'm sitting there like, wait, what's going on here? You know, and, and I'm just like, I kind of feel that I just have to do what these people want me to do. And, 
it's no bad blood or anything. It's just that the, it's just I didn't understand in my age, and I, you know, we just didn't have the experience. And so, after all that's going on, Pellegrini's telling me, "I want you to stay here. Yeah. I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to stay here. I'm going to put you on the Champions League roster." And I'm just again, I'm not you know registering these things. And and I, on hindsight, I should have stayed with him, obviously, and you know, but I chose to go on loan, and I went on loan to Jerez, and then I got. I got injured immediately. I had to have surgery on my toes and I was literally out for a couple of months. And then that was the end of the loan. And then I was, I was, it was summertime and I was going to the Confederations Cup with the U.S. with the U.S. team. Yeah. So you're, I just can't even, I can't contemplate it. There's this politics that's going on at the club and you're, yeah. you're back there and you're, you're just a kid and you're trying to like learn. I mean, what a learning experience it is for yeah, you yeah. forward. But at the time, you know, you've got the manager saying he wants you to stay and you've, you've got these other factors at the club telling you to go and loan to this place. And I can just imagine where your head's at. And I mean, are you feeling homesick at this point? And are you, are you kind of like thinking, well, oh God, I wish I was back in, in the comfort of MLS? Or are you still like super determined and focused to try and get some games and, and, and make it at Villarreal? I mean, I'm still not really con- understanding everything. You know, I'm understanding things and I'm not, you know, and again, I'm there alone. And, um, and then, um, you know, I didn't understand, like, you know, there are guys like Ed Nilsson who was at Barcelona, yeah. won the World Cup, I think. And he wasn't on the Champions League list and at the club. Yeah. And I was going to be on, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was things that, like I said, now when you look back and you just – it's one of those if I if I knew if I knew then what I know now type of situations yeah. where so many little decisions you just would have did differently uh, when understanding the magnitude. But but again, that comes with experience. That comes with making sure the you know a message to kids that you know you go and you're working with people that have had that experience that know what it's like to be in negotiations with top clubs and and knows when to go on loan when not to go on loan. You know these days a lot of these agents are just trying to make a buck. And they're not interested with, yeah. with, you know, the best interests for the kid. And a lot of people within U.S. soccer and, and all these development, you know, they, they're not – they don't have that experience, a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. and they're the ones we're trying to lean on to develop some of these guys. Not all of them, not everybody. Yeah. But there are some in important roles that just don't have that experience. And that's when you need – you need more former players. You need more guys that have been there and that have had the highs and lows to kind of be the ones now developing these young talented kids because you give them a head start is what you do and and I think that's important yeah interesting interesting points there about ex-players being more involved in the 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 sort of development of players I, I agree with you there um two more loan spells while at Villarreal and I want to focus on the one to England to Hull City um how did it come about and obviously I, I well I'm not putting words in your mouth I'll let you explain it but it, it was a bit disappointing for you yeah, um, it was it was hard. It was hard, and again, another one that you know. I and, and at this point, I'm starting to get that you know, starting to understand things more. And I'm at you know, I had the chance to go to Whole City, and Whole City was because it was better financially in a lot of ways for everybody involved. And so right. I was being pushed there. And again, it's one of those scenarios where you're like, well, I'm not totally. You know what I mean? But yeah. this is what, and I had, and I had Ajax, I had these type of clubs yeah. in for me again. And then, you know what I mean? You think it's one of those, if I knew now, if I knew it's now, when I, if I knew then what I know now, you know, it's just like, I would have went to an Ajax. I would have went, you know, at 19 or 20, 
and the, you know, obviously those clubs transform players, but it's just not knowing, you know, not having the wherewithal and then not having the right people around you too. And, you know, that, that's a big player. And, yeah, and so yeah. I end up there and, you know, it was, it was just not, we didn't have, you know, a lot of people don't understand when you play for a lot of these bottom um, uh, teams that are in relegation battles, you've played for them. And it's with, yeah. it's with, it's, it's, it's a battle. Every game's a battle. You don't have the ball. You're not creating tons of chances. No. You know, it's, it's scrapping. You just have to survive. And so to, to go there and have to do that in that team, you're still trying to find your way as a player isn't easy. But it was still very valuable for me because I learned a lot and I played with some very good players, even though. And, yeah. and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the English football. I enjoyed the experience of the Premier League. Yeah, you are, um, you're probably in the worst position for playing in one of the teams as well in the bottom yeah. of the Premier League. You know, your, your, your team's got probably 35% possession and, and you're getting scraps yeah. up top and you're expected to score goals. So yeah. I can only imagine what it's like. And, you know, in that season, I think I played against you actually near the end of the season. We, we came oh, okay. We won four one, and and it was a bad day for you guys because it was kind of signalling your relegation. Unfortunately, yeah. we were getting relegated as well. But uh, <laughs> it was the first time that I met you, mate. I, I don't think yeah. I started that game. I think I came off the bench because I'd had bad groin problems that year. And oh, okay. but I can remember uh, I obviously knew about you, and I played against you, and it was it was fun to play against you for five or ten minutes. But um, your overall experience there, did it sour you a bit with English football or did it, did it invigorate you or, or light something in you to want to get back there at some point? No, it was, listen, I'm not, you know, I see football in, in a very, you know, simple way. And I just think it's just more difficult there in the sense that football seen in a different way. And so when you see football one way and then there's another place like that, it's, it's not in a bad way. But teams like, you know, at the bottom of the, of the Premier League aren't really playing football that you want to see. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just trying to survive. And so when you look at yeah. other leagues in Germany, Holland, Spain, these either lower teams, you'll see some good footy. You turn the, you turn the TV on and watch these teams, you know. Yeah. Try to play. They'll try to – there'll be still one or two players that, you know, can cause problems. But when you look at the, the – you know, a lot of those lower teams, it's just – it's very one-dimensional buys. You know, they'll buy a striker thinking he's going to score me goals, but not buy somebody to, to give balls to the striker. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? And so it's, it's difficult. It's just a different market. It's a different type of, type of beast. But in its way, it's still very exciting. And, and I loved my time in England. And I definitely go back. You know, I loved Sunderland. Sunderland was a great time. Um, you know, so it, I have no – it may not have went great, and, and for different reasons, but I still loved it. I still played with some fantastic players again in some great stadiums, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think you, you said it best there. It's, it's survival, isn't it, when you're at these teams, and it's, yeah. it's bloody tough, and it become yeah. tough with the fans. We'll get to Sunderland a bit more in a minute, but it was to AZ Altmar after that and to Dutch football where you were, you were absolutely sensational for two seasons, scored a lot of goals, you were... You were getting comfortable with, with European soccer at this point, or did you just find the right club for Jose Altador at the time? No, I think at that time I'm 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 more on my I'm more on, I'm more on the ground. I understand what I want to do, what I need to do, what what type of football works for me, how yeah. I'm most successful, and I understand now 
that I'm not, you know, what situations I'm going to try to not put myself into again and understand, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want the rest of uh, my career here to look like. And so I go there and it's terrific. It's a brand of football. I enjoy passing and moving very fluid. Everybody technically is very good. You know, you're interchanging positions, you're training twice a day. So you're sharp. And it's just a high level of football every single day that I just hadn't seen other than Spain. Um, and I was really impressed, and I felt like I really grew a lot there, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, like I said, you had a brilliant time there and scored a lot of goals. And so at the age you were at, what age are you now? <laughs> You're only like 21. I'm exhausted here, mate. I feel like you should be 35. But you're <laughs> right? still young. Only uh, halfway through. Yeah, and so, of course, you're a great asset and, and on the radar of many teams. And it's Sunderland that come calling this time, I believe, for a, a fee in the region of $13 million. And it's yeah. back to the Premier League. Now, Sunderland, as I know, as well as you, is a, a very unique club. It's a yeah. exceptional area to play football. I believe one of the best areas in the world to play football. <laughs> but yeah. when it's not going so great, it can be suffocating it can be one of the worst places in the world to play football what was that like first getting the move and then as things maybe don't go so well as you would like I can only imagine was it difficult to even just move around and try and enjoy daily life listen first of all Sunderland was freaking if I could say fucking I don't want to curse but it was fantastic (laughs) it was the fans are amazing. There, there are no fans better than any. There, there's no club with better fans. Yeah, in England, like you, you won't see a club and say, "Oh, they have better fans than us." No, the Sunderland yeah. fans are up there. The weigh-in is full. The stadium is full every Saturday. It's forty. I forgot what it is. It feels That's like really eighty thousand at times. It's crazy. Yeah, it feels like eighty thousand. Yeah. They're loud. The pitch is yeah. fantastic. You know, it's it's a great training ground. I loved it, and I would you know I would love to the opportunity just to be part of that club again in any way, because it was a great club. It was a, yeah. it was a great people, you know, they really loved their football there, but you know, the team, we weren't terrific. And the biggest thing for me where I, I had a setback in just life and life wasn't great. Right. And I think that was the first dose for me of understanding how kind of both sides matter here. You know, yeah. how one can't be good without the other and. I just wasn't able to, as a person, deal with what I was going through there privately yeah. with everything that it entails in England as, an, as a professional football in England. You know, it's, it, you know how it is there. You're, yeah. you know, it's the creme de la creme. So you're, people know what you're doing. They know your business. Um, you know, there are leaks to news outlets when something's about to happen in your personal life or whatever it is. And it can really affect you. And I just, I was not equipped to handle that. And football became a second priority for me. And, and it's sad because what a, what an opportunity, what a, what a dream move, but it just wasn't able to be a place where I could focus on my football and other things crept in. And it was best that I had to, you know, find a different challenge because the opportunity of the window of opportunity there wasn't there anymore. And just, it was just better for both parties dealing with everything that had gone on on my end there. And it was just best to, to go away. At that time. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the scrutiny is, is intense in, in your life and, and in, uh, on your football there. And I've played for Newcastle and I've played for Sunderland. And there's no way to get away from it. It's, it's literally yeah. everywhere you turn, isn't it? 
Yeah. So, but it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing. It was just you know the football was fine. It was just like I said before, being a professional footballer in England yeah. and that lifestyle, and I got myself into trouble off yeah. the field that it just wasn't at that point uh, what it was going to become for me in England in terms of focusing and it just wasn't going to happen. So I had to make a decision. And unfortunately it was, you know, letting go of, you know, a great time in England and a great league because I still had some years left, but it was yeah. just, it, it had to be done for me at that time. And so that's the only bitter sweet moment there is because you never know maybe how it could have turned out, but you know, things happen in life and, and I have no regrets. So no regrets is a great point and, and none of us can look back and we, we, we tend to, as the mentality we have as football players, is just forage forward. But in a sense, do you kind of wish that you had experienced that a little bit later in life, a few years older? Um, no, I think it came no. at a good time. I just think, uh, you know, some other moments uh, that, you know, it's not for this show, you know, that, that I think uh, affected me and, you know, right. Looking back at it, probably I would have dealt with it differently again. But again, it's one of those, if I knew then what I know now, it's just one of those moments. And I'm still very grateful for everything that's happened in my career and all the places I played. It was just, you know, unfortunate. But like I said, everything happens for a reason. And I'm just fortunate for the opportunity. Yeah, life experiences are are important. And that's what it is. And then you're leaving Sunderland, you've, you've got options, I assume. And, and so what yeah. made you choose TFC and what made you choose uh, MLS soccer again? TFC. Um, uh, Michael being here was huge, being yeah. in Toronto. Um, you know, I actually had met Greg Vanny um, somewhere in London and, and that was huge talking to him. And just overall, you know, the, 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 the idea that TFC had, what they wanted to do yeah. was exciting. It was something that's never been done in MLS. And really, it kind of crossed over into world football because they wanted to win the Champions League and wanted to go to the Club World Cup and be yeah. the first MLS team to ever go to the Club World Cup. And there you play some clubs around the world, right? So it, it was a different aspiration that I thought was exciting because it still required a level where you're playing at a high level and playing still against some very good opponents. If you do what the objection is that we all want to do objective is that we all want to do. So that was really exciting about the whole offer from Toronto FC was that they just wanted to push the envelope in a way that it was so above what the league was trying to do at the time. It kind of felt like still on par with a lot of options that I had, um, you know, in Europe at the time. And did it, did it feel like, I know you weren't exactly coming home. You were going to Canada, but coming to home league, and with that kind of grand ambition at TFC that, and, and obviously feeling very wanted, as, as I'm sure you were, being, being one of the designated players, did it feel like the timing was right? You know, you, you were at that stage of your life that, that this was the place that you could have the most impact? Um, yeah, well, not the most impact yeah. because I thought in Holland, I thought I was extremely impactful there, just the style of play, just how we played there. Um, and Toronto FC, I just knew that I could have impact. And like I said, the project, the project was kind of the, the motivator. And you know, the idea to go into that club, you were there already at the club as well. So I yeah. knew they had a good skipper at the time. And, and just the vision of where they wanted to go. I was excited about it. And I thought we had some good pieces. And then with Seba coming, obviously knowing he was going to come. And with some of the other pieces that were on the radar, I just felt, hey, this is an opportunity to play with some very good players that 
are better than some players you're going to play with in some European clubs. So I said, you know what, um, this might not be a bad thing. And then, you know, all everything coming to the, to the MLS or to the United States with Copa America, all that, I, I just felt that it was as good as a time as any to, to come back to MLS and, and play for a great club. Yeah, in these in these very unprecedented times, I feel like there's a there's a lot of nostalgia going about on on social media, and I've been seeing a lot of things about the Mount Rushmore uh, for TFC, and you're on it, you're on it most <laughs> most uh, lists, and you're certainly on my list. You've had some Cheers, amazing bro. moments in the the red, the TFC Josie, and and some yeah. some big moments as well. Not not just the consistency that you've shown, but the the moments in the big big games and. I could go through so many, but the one that I want to focus on is the, the 2017 playoffs that led to MLS Cup. I think that these were your playoffs, and, and I think that you were the, the outstanding player for TFC throughout. And I mean, there's a few big moments for me. So the, the first one is, is probably a bit of a negative, but it was the, the sending off uh, <laughs> in the second leg against the Red Bulls. You know, what happened oh, there? Sasha, yeah. and it, was, it ended up being ridiculous. Give us a little bit about that. Man, I'm telling you what, I've got some red cards that I will own up to and that I deserve. I got no problem with that. Headbutts, kicking people. Listen, I got a little crazy in me. I'm not going to lie. Everybody does. I have some. I held my hand up. But that one to, to Sasha was, till this day, I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Like, we, we had our altercation on the field. And then off the field, there was a small one, but it wasn't enough for sending off. Yeah. I got sent off because of what escalated. And right. they felt that I was the cause of that. But what right. we had was nothing to require sending off. The aftermath was obviously, was obviously you know, yeah. not something you want to see. But <laughs> me and him didn't have anything that required us to be sending off. It was, it was kind of stupid, you know, that part of it. Yeah, so started with drama, but then obviously ended with, with great moments from you. The, the, the first vital one was a tough Eastern Conference final against the Columbus crew where it was... It was, you know, you guys never really played that well. And, and you picked up in the second leg a bit of an ankle injury that for the life of me, as I was calling the game, I felt like you're going to have to leave the field. It just seemed like you could not carry on, but you just would not accept defeat. You wouldn't leave the yeah. field. You stayed on and then you had the game's outstanding moment, a, a piece of brilliance between the three great players that season, Vasquez, Jovinko and yourself that, that you finished off, Josie. So, so give us a bit about that and, and what that game was like. No, that game was – that was a tough game. First of all, Columbus, they're always a tough team to play. With the way Greg Berhalter had them line up at the time, they were just – they were coming from different spots. They were tactically pretty good, um, and they had some good players. So they were an ever-easy matchup. And yeah. To be honest with you, that game could have gone either way. But they had chances, too, to get the away goal even after we scored. And with the away goal, they would have went through. So – they had some chances, but, you know, in the end, we, we had a little bit more quality. But, you know, that goal, for example, for me is, is everything that I talk about when I talk about moving to Toronto FC and the type yeah. of football and the vision and what we want it to look like before you came here. You know, that's, that's as good as a goal as you'll see anywhere. The speed, yeah. the one-touch passing, the understanding, the movement, the smell each player has for the moment and yeah. for what, what the other is doing. You know what I mean? And and that was the yeah th- th- that was wanting to come to that was the big reason why to come to Toronto to play with those type of players to, to have moments like that which we had a lot of over that 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 season and, and the seasons before so you know that that goal for me and in a lot of ways is 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 what the project what everything was supposed to be what it was supposed to look like the level 
you know, the, the stadium, everything. It was it was terrific. Yeah, it was a sensational goal. And you're on the final. You're playing against the same team who agonisingly defeated you guys on penalties the, the season before. And it was another tense game decided. Um, I think the moment that first goal went in, the game was decided in my mind because TFC had been the better side. But you were the man that did it again. And, and, you know, I've heard you talk about that goal before, so I'm not going to bore you with having you go through the details. But it was a sensational finish. And as the ball goes into the net, I want to know what you're thinking at that moment because I think it's the moment. We, we can think of the, the series against Montreal Impact and how buzzing BMO feel was that night. But I think as that ball hits the back of the net from your left foot dink, that that is the moment in, in BMO field history in terms of the noise and the excitement. What were you thinking? Did you know what you were going to celebrate? Were you, were you, you know, a, a mixture of emotions or uh, what was going through your mind at that, that point? Oh, that was a great moment. I was just, in, just the relief to see the ball yeah. hit the net. You know, play, you know how it is as a player. To play a team like that, and it's just, it feels like in the biggest moments, it's so difficult to score against them. You know what I mean? To see the ball hit the net is kind of, to see that chink in their arm, it's a great yeah. feeling. You know, finally. Especially when you know you have the ability and, and your team's more than good enough, but it just eludes you for whatever reason. So, to finally, to, to score one against them, just for us as a group, we were we kicked on and we just said, okay, now two, three, whatever's coming. But it was just a big moment um, for us because we had been pushing that game and in the year prior to that. And so it was just a relief, to be honest with you. Yeah, what, what I love about that celebration is that, and I don't know if you recognize this at the time, but as you go towards the uh, the, the West Stand, where I'm kind of calling the game down to my right, and the guys are chasing you and everyone celebrates, you sort of you're in the crowd and you're you're still in the pitch. And to me, it was a uh, it was an amalgamation of like fans and players. I just thought it was amazing that the stadium was one. Everyone in red yeah. was was yeah. one at that moment. So it was an yeah. iconic celebration for me and a you know the the greatest moment in BMO Field history. And uh, and you provided it, and you've provided so many for TFC. And I could talk to you all day, mate. It's been absolutely brilliant. But the last thing I want to talk about before we forget, is the, the incredible time that you've had in the red, white, and blue of the United States of America. You got 115 caps, mate. You, you played in World Cups, you played in Gold Cups, won Gold Cups, Olympics, could go on and on. Your moments in the, the USA shirt, I'm sure, have been some of the proudest of your career and, and what's left for Jose Altador in, in that shirt and then indeed in his career as a professional. Um, Who knows, man? Who knows? But you know, I, 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 I'm the type of person I live, I, I live with no regrets. I'm, I'm very appreciative of everything that's come to me. You know, this was a dream, you know, fast forwarding to today, everything before this was a dream. I never thought I would be here. You know, my parents never thought I would go professional. We're not, we didn't live in a country where you bred professional footballers that play in Europe, that play in the Premier League, La Liga, World Cups. That's not something that is the common thing, you know, with how, with, with, with the States and how things were. So, you know, I'm just incredibly grateful and for the national team as well. It's been a dream and, uh, you know, I have no regrets with it. And I'm just really excited for the future of the team, for the young players to watch them grow, whether that's being with them on the field, helping them or from afar, because uh, I've had some great moments that nobody can take away. And I've had, you know, hundred games plus and, 
some great goals, some great memories, and, and you know, I'm, I have no issues with, with it being the end of it. And, and I'm more than excited to be a fan and, and support the next generation because in a lot of ways we have a lot of talent, but a lot of talent that's just – they don't have the same experience in the team. You know, looking at the national team and national to come into, you want to have some pillars, and it's just at a different time. So, you know, they're navigating their way, but it's exciting, and I think they have the support of the nation and, and some very exciting prospects. Yeah, I spoke in like a, a true leader, mate. You're 30 years old. You've got so much football left in you. And I'm looking forward to watching uh, the last however many years of your career. And I want to thank you again. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, Josie. And uh, good luck, mate. And I'm sure I'll see you really soon. All right, pal. Have a good Thanks, one, mate. Stay safe. Okay, bye-bye. Um,